Greetings, Amigops, and Top Teners everywhere. This is Mike from Top Ten with Colin Mike. I am your co-host this week, and as every week, I'm joined by our other superior co-host, Kyle. So Kyle has brought a topic for us this week. I have no idea what it is. We're going to be talking about that topic, debating it vigorously, and by the end of this episode, ranging somewhere from, let's call it, 42 minutes to an hour and 57 minutes, we will have a definitive top 10 list. All right, Kyle, what are we talking about this week? Well, first of all, Mike, I'd like to say superior only in my commitment to the beard. This is pretty much the only thing I have on you. But that is not the only thing you have on me, but you definitely do have that on me. That's I used, a- Yeah, I used my electric razor, and it was just awful. I hate electric razors. I'm a traditional shave guy, and... You used it, to, like, you used yeah. it to shave all the way down? Well, so when I actually did the shave, I, I buzzed with a buzzer and then used a... Uh, an actual razor but in my subsequent shaves since then uh, i've been using the the like electric razor i hate it hate it i like a straight uh, actual razor to get yeah. down if i'm gonna do a clean shave but the, yeah. the electric is nice if you're just if you're just maintaining anyways True. we're doing a podcast here so we just did chris wars mm-hmm. this is similar sounding actually a very different kind of topic <laughs> And this is very low-hanging fruit. It's like I feel like if you told someone you did a top 10 podcast around this time of year, they would say, oh, a really fun one you could do would be top 10 Christmas movies. And even though it is kind of on the nose, I think it'll still be a really fun one. This is just a... There's a lot to choose from here. There's plenty of stuff to watch this time of year. And we're going to release this one this Sunday, Christmas Eve Eve. So... If people haven't already gotten a head start on Christmas movie watching, this will provide them with uh, some inspiration, hopefully. That is beautiful. I think I only have one question, because I think this is reasonably self-explanatory. But there are several movies that have become famous as Christmas-adjacent movies. We will discuss Does- this. Okay. So, here here's the basis by which I'm judging Christmas movies. First... Not necessarily most important is quality of movie. So, like, how good is it in general? Like, how enjoyable is it to watch? Another is how relevant is it? So, like, how well do people know it? How present is it in our our culture's uh, zeitgeist, if you will? Another very important one is the display of... And maybe it'd be better to say holiday. It's not... Most of these center around Christmas, but these aren't necessarily Christian values that I'm looking for. I'm looking for holiday time values in a movie, meaning the power of friendship and family and togetherness around a certain time of year. Mm -hmm. So, and then the last one is, like, how often would you watch this movie not around Christmas or the holidays? And does, does that increase or decrease your points? Decrease. Like, if you were to watch, like, a movie that is only really watched around this time of year settles higher on my list okay that was what i was assuming you meant so like i'll actually give an example because i feel safe it's not on this list the godfather is is actually like a a reasonably christmasy movie because there's a lot of snow in the movie there's some pretty famous scenes that happen around christmas it's always broadcast around christmas yeah so that would lose a ton of points because I could watch at any time. So many points that I wouldn't... And not only could you watch it any time, yeah. like, you might not even... 
you might not like there are some movies on this list that I would watch any time of year, but mm-hmm. I would really most often watch around Christmas. Yeah. Okay. So, so just to give us a sense of what we're doing here, I'm going to give you examples of things that aren't going to make the list. And this is another one that I, I wanted to include a, a rule that maybe is controversial and we can always amend it if we need to. I'm only including feature length theater movies. So by that, I mean, I'm not including TV movies. That actually, I, I hadn't thought of that until about one second ago. I was going to ask about like Frosty. So the answer would be so, no to Frosty, no to Rudolph. Frosty, Rudolph, Charlie, Charlie Brown, Brown, and the okay. animated Grinch are all TV movies and all incredible pieces of Christmas time film lore. I'm yep. not including them on this list because I feel like it's a little hard to compare. And also just because like I have, I don't know if I can fairly talk about those kinds of movies because I, I just, I, I haven't, I've never even seen Rudolph or Frosty as shameful as that is, but I'm excluding those. It's not so much shameful as it is a shame. I feel it's yeah. a shame for yeah. you because you would enjoy those. I know I please. would. Please, please, dude. And I will see them soon because Ali just yeah. was so mad when she found that out. And so yeah. to to our other discussion, I'm leaving out Christmas tangential movies, including or movies that include like an awesome Christmas scene that aren't Christmas movies. So like, for example, Miracle has one of my favorite Christmas scenes ever. I love the scene. The football game. It's so good. And the whistle and the whip. Yeah. Oh, again. And yeah. And the speech. It's one of my favorite Christmas scenes ever, but Miracle's not a Christmas movie. Oh, that's such a great scene. Thank you for reminding me of that. So wonderful. On behalf of the listeners. Just watch that scene. It's one of my favorites in that entire movie. Another movie, like a movie that culminates at a Christmas. It's like a winter movie. So like Annie ends on Christmas Mm. day, but it's not really a Christmas movie. Yeah. Um, Love Actually, in my opinion, is more of like a, just a love movie that happens to take place around Christmas. Whoa. So I, so I have not seen Love Actually. Okay. But the world has been reminding me a lot lately that I need to see Love Actually. I think, based on the world's reception of it, you're going to get some pushback for that one. I know I am. I just don't think it's, we can talk about it some more. I just don't know. I, I just don't know. And, and in that same vein, this is like strangely a controversial take, I think. I was just about, to, I think, there's one movie kind of I think we're both probably thinking of. I don't think Die Hard's a Christmas movie. Yeah, so Die Hard is not a Christmas movie. That was the one I was asking about mostly. Just because a movie takes place on Christmas Eve doesn't mean it's a Christmas movie because there are no, the only themes in this movie are kick ass and take names. And like, I would watch this movie, I always watch it on Christmas Day because my dad got it for me on Christmas. So it's like a it's special to me in that way. But mm-hmm. it's, it's not like I could watch this movie in July and get just as much enjoyment out of it. I, I don't think Die Hard's a Christmas movie. Sorry. Okay. So. I, I'm trying to steer away from specific examples. Let's just say I'm thinking about a particular fantasy series that you and I like a lot has become increasingly associated with Christmas, not Christmas movies then by your rubric. Are you, are you talking about Harry Potter? I am talking about Harry Potter. I had not even considered them as Christmas movies. Okay. All right. That's fine. Yeah. I don't know. Okay. I, we can talk about that more. I had not considered those. Well, if, if, if we're saying that Die Hard isn't Christmas, then yeah. Harry Potter's not Christmas. Yeah. All right. Okay. If, if this list starts to feel thin, we can do that, but it's, I think it's pretty stacked, so. Yeah. Let's, let's dive into it. Number 10. 
is a film I haven't seen since I was a kid, but I remember really loving it. Number 10 is a the film adaptation of a classic uh, kid's story, The Polar Express. Mm. Have you seen the film? Have I seen it? Yes. Yeah. I have indeed. I find the animation and the fact that so many characters look like Tom uh, Tom Hanks a little weird. I've always found the rendering a little off-putting, especially because the um, the illustrations in that kids' book are so breathtakingly beautiful. Mm. But I but I liked it. I saw it in, in IMAX as a kid and was was pretty impressed. I like. I I think the visual because it was the first time, maybe not the first time, but like as a kid, I hadn't seen a ton of motion capture like that, and so I was really mm-hmm. stunned the way Tom Hanks looked like in it. Yep. And I just think it captures, it's like a very, uh, like, sleek kind of modern interpretation of what the North Pole is. Like, in a lot of these movies, you get, like, a very old-timey, like, Nordic kind of conceived version of the North Pole with, like, a certain style of elf, Mm -hmm. um, which is awesome and cool and appears on a lot of these other, in a lot of these other movies. I just like the way the Polar Express is a little sleeker, a little more stylized than that, and... Like the train, I just love like the the concept of a train streaking through the snow on the way up to the North Pole. The movie's always kind of stuck with me, and maybe I'm assigning it a little more emotional, personal value to it than it deserves. But I, I put that at number ten. No, I think that's a good pick, and I think one a lot of folks will agree with. Um, I have like I just have a weird aversion to that particular animation. I always thought it was a little creepy. It is a little weird, definitely. Because especially the way that that kind of technology has changed so much recently. Yes, I think that's a very good point. Now that we're watching Ruffalo do the Hulk and watching uh, Andy Serkis do Andy Serkis do anything. (laughs) Right, anything. It it looks dated for sure going back to it. But I remember at the time really loving it. Yeah. All right, good pick. Number nine is one that I think a lot of people would be tempted to put on a not top three list. And I think if I were to watch it again now, I would see the flaws a lot more than I did when I was a kid. But I used to watch this every year and I absolutely loved it. Number nine is Jingle All the Way starring Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sinbad. <laughs> I mean, do you need a lot more than the fact that those are the two stars? Because the year is what it's like, what, 1992 or something? May, yeah, it might even be that early. Okay, so if you had, like, in the world of big-name celebrities, Arnold and Sinbad. Right. That's all you needed for the poster. Like, that's that's the poster. That's like putting The Rock and Kevin Hart in a movie. You've got your poster. Yeah, you're right. This is like the like, Christmas 1992 version of Central Intelligence. Yeah, so. it's like two, it's two stars... Who are so big and so specific <laughs> that all you need to do is put them on the poster and you know what's going to happen. Yeah, this movie basically writes itself, and it and it does like it yes. pretty much goes all the places you expect it to. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, there's a Turbo Man costume, like a working Turbo Man costume. Like, I wonder if Arnold will eventually be in the Turbo Man costume. I wonder. <laughs> Spoiler. <laughs> I love when he uh, like. For some reason, the kid can't tell that it's his dad, and he has to pick one kid to get a Turbo Man doll. Jamie! <laughs> like, Turbo Man knows my name! 
and speaks in an Austrian accent. Yeah, they're, he's like the only Austrian guy in the metropolitan Twin Cities area. Yeah, it's him. It's funny. So I follow uh, Arnold on Twitter. He's a terrific follow. Yeah, bet. Um, he's actually done such a good job with his post-political career taking on like one political issue that everybody can agree on, which is gerrymandering. So he tweets about gerrymandering all the time, like how bad it is. And it's actually, it's such a smart move because it allows him to remain in the realm of politics and to stay relevant while not pissing anybody off or missing out on the opportunity to promote this weird wellness brand he's doing with LeBron. Like Arnold knows what's what on Twitter. The other day, he, he was at some event and somebody asked him about Jingle All the Way and he actually recreated some of the lines from that about he's like and the tweet was something like somebody asked me about turbo man dot 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 and i was like arnold you get it you know what we're here for yeah oh absolutely the turbonator for a movie yeah. that was only made to sell turbo man toys yeah it's it has some pretty good staying power yeah i shocking especially because like i said it, i don't know what year it is i'm gonna pretend that it's 1992 this That's is fine. of night it's like of 1992 to have a movie starring that aged arnold and sinbad <laughs> and to have anybody watching that now it's crazy because it just feels so specific to that time right it was 1996 google confirms first. all right so a little bit so, later so but whatever. even so i think yeah. it's it's weird that it holds up as well as it does very peculiar that was number yeah. nine. Number eight is one I just watched for the first time two nights ago, uh, mm-hmm. but one that I think a lot of people have been watching for longer than that. It's not a very Murray Christmas. It's another Bill Murray Christmas flick, Scrooged. Are you familiar? You know, I have never seen it, but I read a whole oral history of it. I want to say it was probably The Ringer, because that's where most of my stuff is from, Yeah, and I was very intrigued. I wonder if their take on it is is similar to mine. It's it's very clearly trying to make fun of the kind of corporate Christmas that we see nowadays. Yeah. Because Bill Murray plays a TV executive who's overseeing like a live production of a Christmas carol and mm-hmm. he's a real dick and then he goes through the ghosts. It's like, you know, a modern retelling of it. But yeah. They're very much trying to make fun of like the corporate kind of attitude towards Christmas. But they also are unable to escape that they're doing it themselves. And it's also like a very confused movie tonally because the humor is very lowbrow. Like he gets hit in the nuts a lot and a lot of gag humor. Yeah. But it's also terrifying. Like it's kind of dark. Like uh, the ghost of Christmas future he uh he's on a TV set, so he thinks it's just a guy like in a Grim Reaper costume, and he pulls open the robe. He's like, "Are you standing on another guy's shoulders?" And he pulls up his robe, and like in the rib cage of the skeleton are like three or four like screaming red faced like demon infants, and it's really really Ugh. scary, <laughs> like really scary. And then the payoff of the movie is like he comes to and he makes this speech on live tv but it's very like ranty and Mm -hmm. uh doesn't really come off as super genuine or like i don't know heartfelt like christmas carol actually does yeah very conflicted movie very funny like i actually quite enjoyed watching it i put it on here because it's the only one on here that kind of pokes fun at christmas in any kind of way 
Mm-hmm. And it is funny, and I think a lot of people like it. So that's yeah. That I think your assessment seems in keeping with what I read. Bill Murray was not happy with the movie, and said he thinks that there was a much better version of this movie in the script that just never came out properly. Mm. It was basically what I got from the the review of this was that it's just it's too mean. Like it never, it doesn't quite rise above the problem that, it, and I think it sounds like what you're alluding to is the problem of satire, which is you can fall victim to the thing you're trying to make fun of without totally grasping it. Right. That's, yeah. yeah. And there's some weird plot points that don't age particularly well, but yeah. overall it's like a very, it's off, it's like the offbeat pick for our top yeah. 10 list. I like that. That brings us to number eight. Which, as you now know, means it's time for our not top three segment. I think what we should do now is cue some music. All right, excellent. The, the music we, played. The music we, played. We always pause when we do that, like <laughs> as if we need to. But yeah, maybe we'll someday get better at this. I kind of like it, though. It feels like a ritual at this point. Yeah, we'll probably keep doing it. So, first on my not top three list, it's a bit of a spoiler because uh, another movie in this series will appear on the actual list. The Santa Claus 2 and 3 (laughs) are... I'm so glad. Such derivative pieces of garbage. (laughs) I hate those movies. (laughs) And... We'll talk at length about how much I absolutely love the first and how much heart that movie has. The second and third are so bad. They're just, like, really over-the-top, like, corny, bubbly set pieces, and it just, it really, there's no, like, familial aspect. I mean, the second one is not as bad as the third. So that's my take. Like, the second one is, is not great. The third one is... I remember watching a scene with some of the elves and feeling really deeply uncomfortable and bordering on unsettled by what was going on in that workshop. I was so creeped out by it. It just was, it just wasn't right. Like the first movie, the Santa Claus, if, if I were in that pitch meeting, I assume the pitch was, and I, I hope the timeline is right. I think it is. The pitch would have been, this is Mrs. Doubtfire with Santa. And Tim Allen. Like, that's the whole pitch. That is the pitch. Yeah. And it works because that's what the movie is. It actually stays pretty true to that. The whole movie is about a guy who wants to spend more time with his kid. Right. Like, it makes sense. I think this was something that I had said about Grindelwald, the crimes of Grindelwald, is that it's great to have a good idea, but you have to have a reason for people to be places and doing things. And I think that is the driving force by why any of this was happening made that first movie make sense. Well, and the magic of that movie is that it's a guy that is a normal person that also happens to be Santa Claus, like an alter yes. ego. And it mm-hmm. only works because it's equal parts. Yeah. In the second movie, it gets away from that a little bit. In the third one, he's not even a guy anymore. He's just Santa Claus and it's some dumb shenanigans happening at the North Pole. And it's not, yeah. there's no, there's nothing unique about it anymore. Yeah. So that's the problem with the Santa Claus three. Number two is a movie, and, and this speaks to, how timing is important when watching films and also how like just how sometimes family movies can take on a life of their own, even if they're not Mm -hmm. actually good movies. I saw this movie for the first time last month and didn't care for it, but Allegis's family loves it. 
It's Christmas with the Cranks, again, starring Tim Allen. Wow. Yeah, how do you feel about this movie? Haven't seen it, heard it sucked. Yeah, it's, um, it felt very slapped together. They're like, we got Tim Allen, we got Jamie Lee Curtis, we got Dan Aykroyd. Doesn't really matter what we do now, like, it's gonna sell, and it's, it's just, like, I don't, it's a Christmas movie, right? Like, I'm not gonna be a stickler for plot points, usually, but it really is tied together only very loosely, not- Does somebody hang from the roof while doing uh, Christmas lights at any point? Yes. Okay. Yeah. I think I remember that in the ads. He it might be on the cover. He's like trying to put Frosty up on the roof and he falls off and uh, yeah. is hanging there. But and it's like some of the humor is, is like a little too crude for a children's movie. And like mm-hmm. weirdly, there's like a scene that's like only in the movie just to show us, like, Jamie Lee Curtis's boobs. Like, not full, but, like... Yeah. But, like, why are we... Like, why are we having a scene where we have to see Jamie Lee Curtis's boobs in a Christmas movie? When Jamie Lee Curtis is, at this point, probably, like, in her 50s. Worth noting, a generation of people had been hoping to see her boobs again because they saw them in Halloween, like, 30 years before. Also, I just want to make one... I Actually, this is really reminding me of... A great childhood memory of mine, which was Freaky Friday. Great film. Great film. Equally, for no reason, you see Jamie Lee Curtis's ass in that movie. That's true. Which is very surprising because it's a PG movie and it's like 2003. <laughs> but you see a th- her thong. Do you yeah. remember that? Yeah, I did. Well, I'd never forget. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember that. It was awesome because Jamie Lee Curtis is a fox. She is a fox and a half, but... I didn't find myself disliking it. I was just like, this doesn't seem like the right place. No, but but that's my point, is I remember even at whatever I was, 10, like, watching that and being like, oh, nice, I like that lady's butt. I was like, (laughs) I don't, what's happening? Like, why is this on the screen right now? This doesn't make any sense in this kid's movie. Same question here. Wow. I guess that must happen a lot for Jamie Lee Curtis. Like, she's meeting, and they're like, you're going to be playing Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and she's like... (laughs) I gotta have my topless scene. Like, I take the rough off, and my titties are out. <laughs> Maybe it's her thing. I don't know. Maybe. The last one, it's not actually... I don't know. I haven't seen this in a long time. I was, I was reaching a little bit, I guess. Do you remember this movie starring Michael Keaton called Jack Frost? Where... I love that movie. <laughs> really? I love that movie. It is so weird. <laughs> it's, like, super creepy, and, like, I don't know yes. if it pays off effectively enough for it to justify it uh i remember seeing it as a kid and being definitely perturbed he looks like the um brisk is it brisk iced tea (laughs) he looks like the brisk iced tea snowman it's a really fucked up animation (laughs) he really does yeah it's weird he has like a really mean looking face yeah so he dies in a car accident right and then he comes back as As a a snowman snowman. Yeah, yeah that was weird Super strange. The last I one, liked it, but still, yeah. I I don't know. I'm not like seriously gonna. No, it, it should be on a bottom three. Like if we're gonna do a not top, this is on a not top three list. The last one I'll put on here. I don't know if it's a TV movie or not, but I'd never seen it. But Allegis and her family ridicule it to no end. It's called Best Christmas Ever, and based on what I've seen of it on YouTube, it's absolutely abhorrently terrible. They watch it kind of ironically every year, but unfortunately, I wonder if it's a hallmark. It seems like it's not even that. It's like very, very corny, um, like at the North Pole type kid stuff. Mm-hmm. 
we couldn't watch it this year, unfortunately, because their v- we couldn't figure out how to get their VHS player working. But anyways, that's enough not top three in for this uh, for this pod. Okay, I dig it. Number seven is only this low because I could watch this movie any day of the year, and in fact did when I was a child. Number seven is Home Alone. Yeah, I think that that's the main loss of points for this one. But I, I think... I think it maintains enough Christmassy vibes that that has to be the determining factor because I think how we dial up or down on that portion of its rating will make it either one or seven. Like, I think seven is probably as low as it could go, but it could probably go as high as one depending on how we eventually evaluate that part of the rating. Yeah, it's such an incredibly classically good movie, mm-hmm. like, that... If we were ranking these movies on merit alone, it would definitely be high. Right. But it's also, like, in the movie itself, it's more focused on a a small psychopath, like, torturing a couple of thieves. And it's more of, of like, a, not a heist movie, but, like, it actually created its own genre. Like, it's a Home Alone movie. Like, this has been, yeah. this has been done time and time again after now. Skyfall is a great example. Of Perfect example of Skyfall. Film. Yep. And it's it's also, like, kind of along the same lines of it takes place around Christmas, coincidentally. But there are some very strong family themes in this movie. How he befriends the um, the shovel murderer and how yeah. he reunites him with his family and how, at the end of the day, like, his family is so happy to see him and their, par- their Paris vacation didn't matter. It was just important to get back to Kevin. A lot of strong yeah, I, family I, themes it's in this enough, movie. It's enough of those fundamental family themes you're talking about, that this is definitely a Christmas movie. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Number six, we already talked about it kind of already, was the Santa Claus. I think I think the first one is one of my personal favorites. I just love, like, the effects are, in retrospect, kind of lame, but, like the, like, the effects of him, like, growing the beard and, like, getting fat, like... That's those hang, those hang, like yeah. those are actually, that, those effects are really good still. I like those a lot, and I don't know, I just love how, like, corporate his job is, and how, yeah. like, quickly he turns into Santa, like, he's eating all the cookies, and, like, he's at the board meeting, and he orders, like, all that food or whatever, and I love the psychiatrist, how he makes fun of Neil, the psychiatrist, all the time. Oh, it's just he's a, great. It's a funny movie, the kid is cute, it's... Mm-hmm. I don't know. At no point does it ever feel cheap. Like, I leave that movie just feeling good every time that I watch it. I agree. I think it deals seriously enough with the family issues that, like, you kind of go away from this okay with them invoking that. Because if you're going to invoke serious family issues, you have to deal with them seriously. And I actually think it does. But what you're getting at is my favorite part of the movie. That transitional phase from regular guy to Santa. That's the best part of the movie. Is the best. My lasting memory of this is of him in the doctor's office holding his stomach. Or he's like, he, yeah. he, there's a pic, I think there's one of him in the mirror before that where he's like grabbing his stomach, but then he goes to the doctor's office and he's, they're like doing a stress test and stuff. It's fantastic. It's wonderful. I think yeah. my favorite thing about the movie is when he kills Santa. And then Bernard is like, doesn't have time for his bullshit. And he like shows him the fine print and he's like, the Santa Claus states here. Okay. That was, I was going to ask you. So when did you realize that it was the Santa Claus? Not until I was older and I had seen it like nine times. Did I realize? I think I'm same here. 
Which, when it did, I was like, this is so much better now. Yeah, it makes it a lot funnier. Yeah, it's it's a A++ Christmas movie title. Yeah, and that's con- yeah, and a agreed. No question, yes. Like, what a hilarious concept. Like, oh, you killed Santa, so, like, through this, like fine print in this contract like you're santa now sorry and like you have like a yeah you have the rest of the year off but two weeks before you we give you this list and you have to check it twice like it's just very very clever stuff it feels like an improv skit that just sort of (laughs) spun like they're they're like santa as soon as like claws like no the other kind yeah and then suddenly somebody's like ding this is a movie and all of a sudden it's one of my favorites yeah. And I love that it has no sequels to speak of. None. Number five. Shockingly low, but I think you have to save some room at the top for the absolute old-timey classics. Number five is an instant classic. It just doesn't have uh, kind of the resume of some of these other ones. Number five is Elf. I think Elf is going to be with us for decades to come. And I think you and I both knew that the first time we ever watched it. At least for me, I saw it, and I was like, this is amazing. I'm never going to get tired of watching this movie. And, like, from day one, it's just become, like, one of those movies you watch every year. You quote it incessantly, even when it's not Christmas time. Yeah. It's an iconic performance from Will Ferrell. It, like, and, and there's no better way to say it. It's an instant classic from day one. Yeah, you're right. That's the best way to put it. What I, I think is interesting is it seems to exist outside of the Will Ferrell verse, though. Yeah. Because I don't think it would have the longevity that we're giving it and assuming it will take on if this were too specific to Will Ferrell. Like, that's why I think that even though Jingle All the Way has surprisingly survived till now, it ultimately, nobody's going to watch it in 30 years because it depends too much on our knowing at least somewhat who Sinbad and Arnold are. Yeah. This movie doesn't require that at all. There's no explanation needed for this movie. No context necessary. Nothing. It just exists perfectly on its own. Agreed. Though I will say I can't think of anyone that can pull off the man child better than Will Nobody. Ferrell. Especially because the only person I can think of who could do it is John C. Riley. <laughs> I... The only other person. <laughs> because if you did, if you tried to get Vince Vaughn to do it, it would be Fred Claus. It'd be terrible. Yeah. No, th- there's like, there's so many things you say that, like, you know are from this movie, but you don't really realize are. Yes. <laughs> Make work your new favorite. <laughs> I say that all the time. I actually, I want to do a quick dream casting for this movie. Now that we're talking about who could be in this, I have one other person I would suggest. Unfortunately, not happening now, but my dream casting for this, if I had to redo this movie, after John C. Riley would be Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yeah. Because Philip Seymour Hoffman could absolutely pull this off. He would nail this one, I think. He would be so good. He'd probably be better as um, Buddy's uh, adoptive father. I was going to but... say, he could have done the James Con really well. <laughs> yeah, he'd have been great, but I, I think him as Buddy the Elf a la him as Sandy from Along Cape Polly would be great. Yes. Oh, you just great. have to have more shots of him, like, legs up, showing you his balls in those disgusting elf tights. <laughs> but, like, that w- it worked so well on Along Cape Polly, I see no reason that he couldn't go back to the well. Oh, definitely not, for a movie like this. Yeah. And then I went through the Lincoln Tunnel. And don't forget <laughs> that Peter Dinklage is in this movie, 
Oh, call um, me Elf one more time. <laughs> South Pole Elf. And um, also, the um, this is like a lot of people's first exposure to Zoe Deschanel. It's kind of easy to forget she's in it. Almost certainly mine. Almost yeah. certainly. Yeah. I, it was before I knew who she was. Yeah. Oh, for sure. It's also weird because she's she, blonde. Yes, and she existed for a very long time for me, even though I wasn't a Bones person. Like the, I was like, oh, that's the her sister. She's the sister of the girl on Bones. Mm-hmm. Like that was as high Weird. as she rose in my estimation that's for strange, some time. What a strange time to think of. That, yeah, that reminds me of um someone the other day was telling me about this tiny school where their daughter is teaching. And they're explaining it, and they're like, well, they have a couple famous alumni. It's an acting school. Peter Dinklage. He's like, you might know him from uh, Elf. And I was like, I I know Peter Dinklage is an elf, but, like, like, where have you been for the last, like, eight years, my friend? Like, Peter Dinklage is one of, like, the most famous actors in TV right now. <laughs> He's a nominated for, like, five Emmys. <laughs> Not because he was an elf. I just thought, I thought that was, like, very funny. I really like that. That's a great. That that's just like being Jonah Hill for Moneyball. <laughs> for Moneyball, yeah. Except I, the opposite for Peter Dinklage. I thought that was very funny. I like that a lot. That was number five. Number four is a classic that I don't know how much how many replays it gets today, but it's a stellarly magical film, and a lot of people I think a little older than us would tell you that this is probably the greatest christmas movie of all time it's miracle on 31st street so i have actually never seen the black and white version the old one i have however seen the like 90s remake with i think it's the i want if i'm remembering correctly i might be making this up but i want to say it's the girl from mrs doubtfire oh she's the really cute one i think it's her I think it's Matilda, yeah. yeah. I, I I might be making that up, so I'm going to look while we talk about this. So, using that as my proxy, hot damn, yes. There's a fantastic concept, it's a fantastic movie, and it's such a cute, well-done way of allowing parents to sort of, like, explain Santa to their kids. Because it, it's, I think, probably the most prominent example, up until maybe Elf... Of a movie legitimately saying, introducing kids, and probably in some cases, to the notion that some people don't believe in Santa. Like, it leads, the lead of this movie is, hey kids, we know you're hearing this stuff about Santa not existing, here's our defense of it. And it does it really well. It's like, pretty cool that that's what it does. Do you want to just give the viewers, like, because I think a lot of people probably don't even know, like, the, the general bones of the plot of this movie. Yeah, so I think the the basic bones are a little girl goes to department store, meets Santa, somehow or other, it basically comes to pass that this guy is Santa, he tells her he is Santa, she starts telling people like, hey, I met Santa, they're like, no, 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 that's that's a department store guy, and she's like, no, no, dude, I met Santa, <laughs> and me. it really, it like really escalates to the point where people are like, no, this is not Santa. <laughs> She's like, fuck you, this is Santa. And then there's a court case about whether or not this is Santa. It's very serious. He ends up in a mental institution because his name is Chris Kringle, if I recall correctly. Yeah. Like, it's very serious stuff. This, the Santa is in, is in a mental institution and it's, it teaches a lot of cynical lawyers about the meaning of Christmas. It's, it's great. It's, 
the there's it's like the only it's the best movie on this list that like so perfectly instills the power of belief and yeah like one of my favorite concepts in general that like something doesn't need to be real to have real power and real effect yep and santa claus is a really important example of like the kind of values that you can teach a kid and the kind of like perspective they can have through believing something like that so i think that's one of the reasons i like this movie so much and the only reason it's this low is just because i think that it it loses i don't know I, I don't know how many people watch this movie consistently or have even seen it that's the only thing i think you're right i think it's probably it hasn't aged all that well um yeah. but just visually like it doesn't look that great no there's a think probably maybe another older movie you're going to mention at some point that does. And I think this one suffers by comparison. Yeah. We're going to talk about that one very soon. Before we do that, we're going to talk about some honorable mentions. And before we do that, it is the girl from Matilda slash Mrs. Doubtfire. So I did not invent that. Congratulations. Very happy for, for once. You. I usually do. That mm-hmm. was not invented. <laughs> honorable mentions. Yes. Here's one I didn't know what to do with. Couldn't decide if it was a Halloween movie or a Christmas movie. The Nightmare Before Christmas. Yeah. I think it's more of a Christmas movie, but not, I don't know. It's hard to tell. I don't know when to watch this movie. So here's the thing. This either, it's one of those ones, depending on the rules, this is either number one or off the list. Because it would be number one for being so crazy and original as a Christmas movie. Yeah. Or its originality is such that it just isn't a Christmas movie. I'm kind of inclined to put it in its own category rather than trying to figure out where it ranks here. Yeah. Because it so blasts apart what we're thinking of as a Christmas movie that it's probably better to make sure it gets an affectionate nod but doesn't really come into the ranking. Right. That's all right. That's how I feel about it as well. Yeah. A movie I really, really like that I think just misses our list is How the Grinch Stole Christmas with Jim Carrey. Yes, so that's that would be the only... Well, I guess that one and the newest, newest one are the only eligible Grinches, right? Yeah, and I haven't mm-hmm. seen the newest, newest Grinch. Um, but I really like this movie. I, I always worry about expanding like a short little book into a long movie, but this movie has chops. And it and it like effectively fills in the blanks when mm-hmm. so oftentimes movies like this give me information I'd never wanted to know looking at yep. you, Solo. And, it, yeah. and, and this is just as Will Ferrell is perfect for Buddy. Jim Carrey is the only person that could do this, and he's so good. Well, he's he. I, so I disagree slightly with your take because I think looking back, he's the only person. Because now that's kind of the definitive Grinch for us, and it's hard to imagine somebody else imitating his version of the Grinch. But I think if you go back in time before you'd ever seen him as the Grinch, there's probably a lot of other more conventional paths they could have gone down. Danny DeVito. Yeah, but like now that we've seen this take on the Grinch, it's impossible to go back. Like That's true. You can't unring that bell. (laughs) I'm glad it had been rung. Because I I very much enjoy that version of the Grinch. Mm Mm-hmm. Another older one, White Christmas. It's a Christmas musical, which gets a big points. It's Bing mm-hmm. Crosby and um can't remember who else is in it. Someone else very famous from that that period. But this is a, a one you hear about a lot. I've never actually seen it. I haven't either. 
We can keep going then. Home Alone 2 and 3, because I love those movies so much. Of course, of course. This, I think, is a TV movie, I but I happened to own it on VHS, so I was thinking of it as like a, a feature length. Did you ever see The Muppets Christmas Carol? Yes. I love that movie. Well, I, depending on where we go for the rest of this list, we'll see how we, if we have to come back to this one. Okay. Uh, Bad Santa? I, so I was going to say, when you were feeling a little bit uncertain about Scrooged, if we need to substitute a, like, spoof slash ridiculous uh, Christmas movie in here for Scrooged, I would stump for Bad Santa. That is a hilarious movie. We can talk about that. Don't sleep on Billy Bob. No. Billy Bob, I think a lot of people forgot about him because he got so weird with Angelina Jolie for a while there. Forgot he about Billy a, Bob. Yeah, he is such a talented actor, and he was great in this movie. Yeah. No, very, very, very good. I'd be certainly willing to entertain that. This last one, I don't know if anyone has seen this, but me and my siblings and my grandma. It's an old Laurel and Hardy movie called March of the Wooden Soldiers. Nobody has seen that but you guys. <laughs> really fun stuff. I liked that a lot as a kid. Moving on. We're in our top three now. Number three you alluded to. I watched this on Saturday and was floored because I hadn't watched it in a long time. And I could not believe how much I enjoyed it. Number three is It's a Wonderful Life. So I've never seen it. Really? To my, to my great and undying shame, I've never seen it. I'm going to remedy that this year. I have been on a mission for a while. Caroline and I are planning to watch it. Are you an Amazon Prime subscriber? I am. It's on Amazon Prime right now. You really have no oh. excuse. Okay. No, there's. I, I don't want an excuse anymore. Watch it. It seems foolish. Watch it in its original black and white. Yep. Do you know anything about the plot of the film? So... I think that my understanding is Guy is contemplating suicide and is shown the world without himself or is shown like yeah. how, right? What's interesting about this is that like, that's a, that's the way you would describe it. The way you say that makes people made me think before I watched it again, that this movie was pretty much exclusively that. And it was weighted towards that event starting relatively early in the film. Mm hmm. It's a two-hour, like, 15-minute movie, I think. Probably an, probably 90 to 100 minutes of it more. Like, it's really only the last half hour is that piece of it. The vast, The vast majority of the movie is... It starts with his life in high school and follows it all the way up to... And it's just... I don't want to spoil it too much, but... And it was... I think it was made in, like, 1942. So, like... In a lot of movies from that period, you have to watch it and think like, well, you have to remember at this time, like, you ever watch Citizen Kane? Yeah. It's, you know, like, you have to think about the context of when it was made. This is not one of those movies. I was enthralled, and I don't know how much Jimmy Stewart you've ever watched, but he's incredible. I saw him in one movie we had to watch in college, uh, A Philadelphia Story, which is a very famous movie, and he was so good. He so he plays a fifteen-year-old kid all the way up to like a grown man, with like really, really convincingly. And I'm not like the. It's not that hard to make me cry in a movie, but yeah. I was sobbing by the end of it. Like it was. This is a a hard hitter, and it's another one of those movies that like just happens to end right around Christmas. 
Yep. But I consider this a Christmas movie because, in general, people view it as such, and because the overwhelming theme of this movie is uh, the importance of family and treating people with kindness and mercy and love, which is what this season is all about. And it, it's high on this list because of the sheer quality of this movie is uh, is really something. You sh- you you will really have a good time watching it. I'm excited. I. I will tie this into another work that I think we'll hopefully be discussing, even if not in the top two, at least in the honorables. Okay. Number two is, <laughs> I think, the funniest Christmas movie made probably ever. Uh, number two is National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. This movie has so many bits of it that have just become like standard Christmas lore i guess for like lack of a better term like modern christmas lore like the jelly of the month club and like shitters full and just like all these different things that come from this movie it's weird that like this is in the same series as family vacation and like yet stands so apart from it like i don't think you have to think of this movie in i very rarely think of this movie in context with the other ones in it but i we i watched this with jameson and dill last christmas and we we're dying watching it. it. It has aged extremely well. I really love it. Yeah, it's interesting. What I've always found odd about this movie is that when you look at the contemporary reviews, they just weren't that great. And I yeah. think it it speaks to the life of comedy. Like, look at Step Brothers. Step Brothers is something like a 55, maybe, or a 60%. It might be a little bit higher on Rotten Tomatoes. That will probably be the comedy of our generation. Like, Step Brothers is going to be the, the comedy people look at in 30 to 40 years is our generation's biggest comedy. It'll be like our, you know, uh, Stripes or, or Meatballs or, or like one Ghostbusters, one of those big movies. And I feel like Christmas Vacation is one of those. It's just, for whatever reason, maybe it's the Christmas theme. It has just lived on so far beyond what you might have expected. Yeah, absolutely. I think part of that is that it's like Chevy Chase has aged kind of in a weird way, but like he's like such an obvious star in this movie. Like, yeah, I don't know. Like seeing him in it, like just reminds you of that era of movies in a way that mm-hmm. a lot of other actors don't. And just like the, I think the family interactions in this movie are really special because like, like the uncle is so goofy and there's like money problems and the grandma doesn't remember that her nephew was not in the Navy. Like it's just like dumb family stuff like that, which is also a big hallmark of the, like the family, uh, family vacation movie. Like, yeah, I don't know. It feels very real in a, in a way that a lot of these other movies don't. The only movie I think that captures that spirit more is the first one on this list. Mm-hmm. So that's why that's why I like Christmas Vacation. It's it's hilarious. It has like a certain charm from that era of movies, and it I think it captures like the family, the real life neighborhood, you know, essence of fam, fam familial Christmas. Can I just note something that I never realized? I guess it looks like a couple of these, at least, or most of them. So John Hughes wrote this movie. Really, I did not know. Yeah. That. So he also wrote... Explains why I like it so much. He wrote Vacation, European Vacation, which I never realized. I think that makes that family, that like under that underlying core of family make a little bit more sense now. Because that was clearly what he always got best in his movies. No, absolutely. 
Wow. Hmm. Yeah. And number one, I think probably anyone that saw this podcast knew what number one was going to be. Yep. I just, I think what I'll use this time to do is defend against people that think this movie is overrated. We're talking about a Christmas story. So who thinks it's overrated? <laughs> this is a take that I've heard. Ugh. That's a terrible take. I think that people don't like that it gets played so much because I know, like, don't they loop it for 24 hours? 24 on- hours, baby. Here's the thing. There is, like, this movie is, like, if you wanted to show someone what it felt like to be a kid on Christmas, like, this is the movie you would show them to describe that feeling. And I think what's interesting about all these movies that are about a holiday that focuses a lot on children, I think this is, like, one of the few that, like, really, really looks at it from the ankle level and looks up at it. You know what I mean? Well, it's crazy. It's so cool because it's the writer, whoever the writer is, writing about himself as a kid. And the use of the narration, I think, like, really explicitly puts you into the frame of mind of a kid. That's why I think it's so brilliant, because it's reminiscent. So if you're watching this as an adult, you think of what it was like to be a kid at Christmas. And if you're a kid, you're like, that's how I feel. Yeah, I'm right there with you, dog. It's... It's sort of, it also feels to me, you and I have talked about uh, Arrested Development and how probably the most important character on that show is the narrator. And you don't realize it until you consider the idea of listening to that show without Ron Howard's voice. Like this movie would be fine without the narrator, but it just, it would, it would miss that childish whimsy, like that, that sense of nostalgia of adulthood to childhood for the adults and that sense of childhood for the kids. Yeah, it's cool because, like, it's fun to watch Ralphie's face as something happens to him, and then to hear, like, the exasperated, like, I yes! did it. I shot yeah. my eye out. And describing, yeah. like, these childlike events in, like, in, you know, like, really well-developed writing. Like, yeah, it's really cool. And, uh, again, I think it captured, like, the way the dad with the leg and the tree. Oh, the leg is so iconic. Like, just the way that it captures you know, the way that different people react to Christmas. And I, I don't know. I, I just don't get tired of it. I like, I like to watch it at least, at least a part of it every year. Can I give my one negative for this? Sure. It exists outside of the film. It, I think my only issue is, and this happens sometimes when somebody executes a project like this so well, is it's encouraged imitators. Mm. And this required such skill and such a tightrope walk to do this properly that I think the imitators naturally pale in comparison. So it's my only disappointment is that it's, it's spawned imitators because this is such a perfect quirky little piece of art that I'm so glad it exists. And I just want it to be the only thing, the only one of its kind. Yeah. I will say it does get annoying to see the leg lamps in like every store this time of year. Yeah. But yeah, I want it to be untouched. I like the idea of this movie. It just, being and being left alone i'm with you yeah no I, I love this movie it gives me it gives me a happy feeling when i watch it yeah agreed those feel like some some good entries i've got a couple i want to mention okay uh one is gremlins so gremlins i think is it would be considered a christmas film it's the biggest reason i would consider it a christmas film have you seen gremlins no i haven't so basic plot 
uh, kid goes to uh, this dude. Dude gives him what's called a mogwai. It's just like a cute little cuddly thing. But the thing is, don't feed it after midnight. And don't yeah. give, let it near water. He does both of those things. Idiot. So it turns into this little gremlin and it multiplies and they take over the town, basically. It is very violent. But it takes over during Christmas time. And the reason I'd say it definitely passes the Christmas movie test is A, one of the most important scenes takes place in a christmas bedecked toy store which is pretty cool and then the other thing is one of the main characters is going on the whole movie about how much she hates christmas and it is for one of the most (laughs) genuinely alarming reasons in film history and i'm gonna spoil it for you because it's just it's so weird so girl's dad (laughs) girl's dad decides he's gonna come drop presents down the chimney for her family for christmas um but then he goes missing and they're like where the hell is dad week later they start to smell something dad fell down the chimney broke his neck and died and they find him like a week later and are like oh the fuck and so the whole movie you know she hates christmas you don't know why and then in one of the movie's big cathartic moments you find out why and she's gonna learn to love christmas now Oh boy. <laughs> so, really messed up. Definitely Christmassy. It's also a terrific movie. Um, Nicole and I watched it and we were both terrified. We were like, she was 13 and I was 9 and oh neither God. of us was ready for it. But it's really good. It's actually, <laughs> it's actually a really enjoyable movie. Yeah, I know it is a classic. One that I would also put on a list of like, I really like it, but it's probably not very good is I'll Be Home for Christmas. Uh, it's the Jonathan Taylor Thomas movie. I think the I think the thing is he his dad says if you can drive my Mustang home by Christmas Day you get to keep the Mustang, mm. and he's like in California or something, and his girlfriend is Jessica Biel, and chaos ensues. Yeah, all sorts of things go wrong. He ends up getting a a Santa outfit glued to him, and he has to walk through the desert. <laughs> it's great. I hate when that happens. Yeah. One that I watched recently that I think might genuinely deserve consideration at the very bottom of this list is Office Holiday Party. Is that good? It was terrific. So I think it was, like you were saying about mood earlier, I think I was just in the right mood, but Jerry and I watched this one together like six months ago. Not at Christmas, mind you. (laughs) And just were totally tickled just really were into it thought it was great um i don't know it just worked i don't know why but we really enjoyed it i and you can never tell but the trailer was awesome yeah no it's it's actually a really funny movie so i would i would recommend that one for a little bit of silly christmas viewing and i i sense it might grow i think people will will see it a little bit more and see it a little more and it'll keep going okay um, well, so this is one that I really regret not having a perf- like a, a good entry is a Christmas Carol. There isn't one great yeah. definitive Christmas Carol. This is the problem. I know there are a lot of kind of decent TV movies or or some theatrical releases. I like the Patrick Stewart version. Yeah, I. I think they had a Jim Carrey one a few years ago that was, like, animated. That, that was the animated one. There's Obviously, just, the that... Muppet Christmas Carol I love. Well, if that's probably the one. Like, that's probably yeah. the closest. But I just wanted to draw a parallel between that and what you were saying about It's a Wonderful Life. 
just using this platform to talk about how much I love Christmas Carol really briefly, had to read it in ninth grade, was ready for it to be really lame, was ready to skim it and not really read it. I don't know why, whatever reason, I actually read it. And I'm reading it and I'm a, you know, little 14 year old asshole. And I'm like, oh yeah, okay, this guy doesn't like Christmas. Okay. Yeah. I gotcha. Yep. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> His life kind of sucks. And I'm like, you know, I feel like if he just had some human connection, like, I don't know, he'd probably be fine. <laughs> and then, <laughs> I'm like reading this and by the end, actually crying, reading this book. I go all in for Christmas Carol. I make sure to read it every year. I ride for Christmas Carol. I just wish there were a better movie version of it because this isn't one of those books that wouldn't work as a movie. It would. I just, for some reason, nobody's really put the right resources against it. I think that what we should do here is leave it off the list and just have it be understood that this is like the definitive Christmas novel or not novel but story and yeah hopefully get some people to read it because you told me that in i think i like we were it was in college and you were reading it it's like what do you got there I said oh it's a christmas carol i read it every year and i had never read it yeah and rightly got, totally rightly. yeah and you i was like it was just one of those things like i know the story why would i read it and yeah. um i did read it and i haven't read it every year but i have read it a couple times since it's i have it just on my phone i highly recommend it just as you have it's it, it really i like to read it early in the season because it really yeah. puts you in a good kind of spirit for the season yeah oh man it just feel good like you just feel good and it doesn't feel cheap no it doesn't tricky dick so basically i'd say <laughs> um i would like to I, I think that your list is very sound especially up the top i would offer dealer's choice of basically gremlin's Office holiday party or bad Santa as a like irreverent Christmas pick at the back end of that list. Um, and then maybe do a little reordering. Well, I'm okay with, I think like I was kind of hesitant to put Polar Express at 10 in anyways. If you wanted to remove that, and I know you were saying maybe we could swap something out for Scrooge. I'm not uh, super opposed to, to doing maybe throw two in there. It, it, I'll leave it up to you. Okay, so here's what I think. I think we drop Gremlins in where Polar Express is and Bad Santa where Scrooged is. And then I think, so I think one, two, three are perfect. I would probably move Elf up to four. Yeah. And I actually think I'd move the Santa Claus up to five. I think that's, I think that people think very highly of that movie and I'm with them. I'm with I'm with you on that one. I felt like I was I was trying to combat my own feelings for that movie because I love it. I, yeah. I felt like more than I should. Yeah. No, I think you're right on. All right. And then then Miracle. And then I would go Miracle. Six, then Home yeah. Alone. And I want to just revisit Home Alone one last time. Let's just say definitively so that we don't have to hear it. This would be higher on this list because it is so high quality i think we simply don't view it as exclusively as a christmas movie in the same way that these other movies are every movie above it on this list i would say is purely a christmas movie and home and home alone is is not it's it's home alone it's like kind of its own thing but what i do love about it is that uh in the movie he's actually watching the grinch at one point which is cool yeah I agree, but I like that too. 
Um, but then I think we go Home Alone, Bad Santa, Jingle All the Way, and Gremlins. Then I think we're done. I think what we've done is constructed a definitive list of Christmas movies. That's how it feels to me. Ten of I would them. love to hear. I'd love to hear you say them back. Yeah, I'll I'll recite them to you now. Mm-hmm. In order, from ten to one. Number yes. ten was Gremlins, super violent Christmas movie. Very violent. <laughs> Number nine, our favorite Austrian and Jingle All the Way. <laughs> Unquestionably, I hope you've all Austrian. started your Christmas shopping before the publishing of this pod. Because if you've waited until Christmas Eve, Eve, there's very little chance you get a Turbo Man doll. Not get a Turbo Man. You're probably going to be stuck with Booster. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Number eight, Don't Sleep on Billy Bob, Bad Santa. Number seven, Home Alone. Love that movie. Number six, Miracle Psychopath. on 31st Street. He is terrifying. Number five, The Santa Claus, starring Tim Allen. Santa Claus A. Right. Number four, Elf. Instant classic. Mm-hmm. Number three, It's a Wonderful Life. And it is a wonderful movie. Number two, Christmas Vacation. And of course, number one, what else could it be? A Christmas Story. Yeah. That's that's the list, my friend. Wonderful. Do you want to tell the people where they could listen and find us once they once they have found it in themselves to tear this list apart for us? Oh boy! All right. So uh, from memory, if you're looking for the podcast, you should check us out on all of the available podcast apps. Things like Stitcher, Podbean, Spotify, the Apple Podcast app. Or wherever you get your podcasts. How's that sound? That's good. We do. That's good. We're on Google Play. I would, that's the oh. only one I would say specifically. From now on, I'm going to mention Google Play. Check us out on Google Play. Yeah. If you're looking for us on the interwebs, you can check out our uh, Twitter. Our handle is at top10km. If you'd like to send us an email, we are top10km at gmail.com. That's our 10 is always spelled out. Never forget that. If you want to see us on Instagram, we're not quite there yet, but <laughs> the contractor whom we are contracting to do our Instagram has just returned from her globetrotting ways and will be give, making us an Instagram very shortly. So get ready to see more of our ugly mugs. And that's it. I'm thinking, right? Yeah, it's just credits time now. Don't yeah. forget that Kevin McLeod composed our theme and our not top three music. And we're probably going to be pulling from him again soon whenever we decide to put music on our honorable mention section. Ah, uh, yes. He does not mess around. He does good work. And then, of course, our artwork, which it's disappointing because for some reason it's not showing up on iTunes or the app I use called Pocket Casts. But it is showing up on Spotify. We did make a specific artwork for Jerry's episode. So if you have Spotify, just go check out that artwork. It's really fantastic. Enjoy it because A, Jerry looks exceptionally fly. That was him at my sister Nicole's wedding. Uh, But B, Aaron did a terrific job of making that artwork. So a huge thank you to Aaron for doing that. And also a thank you for the incredible styling she has done for us. She already has an Instagram. It's Sant Design (laughs) on Instagram. You should check it out. It's full of really neat stuff. With that, we will bid you all a Merry Christmas, a Happy Hanukkah, whatever you celebrate this time of year. Be with your family and friends and enjoy the season. From Kyle and Mike. Thanks, Kyle. All right. See you, buddy.
Is it 42? What is it? Is it 42? P. Sherman, 42, Wallaby Way, Sydney. Oh, thank goodness. I was so worried. Isn't it funny that, not a throwaway line, but, like, a line in a movie that has no, like, context that would help you get, like, no context clues that would help you remember it is memorable 10 years later. Yep. It's very strange how they got, like, the, I don't know, just the way, I think it's a cadence thing. I remember my first class, my first English class in college, the professor was talking about um, the power of language, and she put uh, Poker Face, the lyrics to Poker Face written out on the board and explained to us that infants would find that song pleasing because it's pa-pa-pa-poker face, pa-pa-poker face. I've been saying that about Lady Gaga for so long. She taps into, like, some kind of primal kind of, like desire to just like speak nonsense because almost mm-hmm. a, a lot of her po- like popular very catchy songs have some kind of aspect of that to it yep and that was day one and i think that's why p sherman works so well it's that cadence is very pleasing p sherman 42 wallaby ways sydney